0: All right, everybody, welcome to another Tech Chat Tuesday for Tuesday, August 15th, uh, 2023. I'm Ken Rimple. Sujan Kapadia. And joining us today is Drew Rogers. Hello, Drew.
1: Hey, well, uh, good to be here.
0: So we're gonna bring Drew in in a few minutes. Um, He's uh, gonna talk to us about DevOps and CloudOps. Just before we start with that, um, I want to uh, talk a little bit about um, some of the stuff that we have on our website. So let me just go to Chrome here. Uh, that's the one. And we can briefly discuss. So if you go to chariotsolutions.com, there's our website. You can find out more about us. If you hit our blog, uh, they, we have a lot of good information recently in the blog. Uh, we always do, but there's a lot of good stuff recently. So for example, uh, Keith Gregory, uh, one of Chariot's uh, ABS and cloud experts uh, and data engineering people, uh, has been doing a lot of research around the data engineering features, such as um, data pipelines so for example uh, we were talking a bit about Redshift um, he's been doing a fair amount of like uh, Redshift writing also had a, a webinar on that uh, as well that is available to look at online um, and then after that um, we have a couple of articles that, that uh, I had done around repls and electron and things like that but uh, he then continued with one on Postgres um, so Postgres for, for data querying Uh, as a possibility Uh, and then also small data like what do I do when I don't have a ton of data but I have to do decision support what are some of my lower uh, you know lower cost low latency uh, decision support options there Um, so there's a lot of good blog articles Uh, specifically Keith has been doing a lot of really good ones around the data uh, side of the house so check that out chariotsolutions.com slash blog Uh, and the big story also is that we have just released uh, all of our Videos for Philly Emerging Tech 2023, um, and so there's a playlist. You go to youtubecom solutions, That'll take you to this link, uh, and you can see the full playlist for all of uh, Philly Emerging Tech. And there's a lot of really good talks here. Um, you know, just a lot of good technical dives into you know everything from front end stuff to uh, you know distributed systems and telemetry to data workflows with things like DBT. Uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, our keynote choreo robotics, where we got robots are basically uh, Katie Kwan uh, got robots to kind of dance and interact with each other, and interact with people. Uh, it's a really interesting keynote. So a lot of really good stuff here. Um, check it out at YouTube, youtube.com slash chariot solutions. And you'll see the Philly ETE 2023 playlist. All right, but we have uh, ourselves here today because we have Drew Rogers, a chariot person. How long have you been a chariot? Uh,
1: 2011. So, wow. yeah, twelve years. I, I think John the, uh, yeah. uh, the same.
0: Yeah, the same amount of time. Yeah. See, there we go. So, um, first of all, so so Drew, why don't you tell everyone uh, what you do here at Chariot, just to kind of set the stage.
1: Uh, so I'm a sysadmin here at uh, Chariot Solutions and also a DevOps slash SRE uh, consultant for uh, for clients. So, And I started out just as a sysadmin and I moved to, uh, to uh, consultant work uh, the past couple, of, I think, five years now.
0: And uh, so for the last three years, you uh, have been working on a, a client doing a lot of DevOps and Cloud Ops um, and SRE stuff, I guess, uh, for them. And we thought we'd bring you on to kind of talk about some of the th- challenges you ran into and some of the things you've learned in your journey and stuff you you might want to share as advice as you kind of go along uh, with this kind of work. Um, So let's talk a little bit about that. So this is a a, a sports betting industry client, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Started out uh, sports betting. um, Very interesting work, very fast paced um, competitions high. So always use an emerging tech. So it was actually really, really fun project for the past three
0: years okay so so let's kind of set the table then so you you get on this project um and like the first major challenge you ran into um uh so so there's something about uh dealing with like data in one location you had to move it right so so what was the story behind that so
1: um dealing with in sports betting there's a lot of compliance issues uh, within within countries and jurisdictions within the countries that are changing a lot. So uh, at one point, the client was in, uh, all their infrastructure in AWS was in Europe. And at at the point where I came in as one of my major projects was um, there was no more red tape that that the client had to be in Europe anymore, so they wanted to come back to North America. So my main project was to use their terraform that that um was constructed to to build infrastructure in in europe make it so that we could transfer everything back to north america and at the same time make it regional region aware and make the app uh have the ability to be multi-regional so at this at at, in this aspect it would have been moving from europe to us east one and us west two um The the kind of the the interesting things were that making a app region aware that wasn't region aware in Terraform is a lot more work than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. Um, Some things like uh, like just I A M names I A M is a global scope space. It's not region. It's global. So Mm -hmm. you can't have the same name in in your uh, in in your whatever environment, uh, AWS account you're using. So d- that just like a lot of these kind of hiccups here and there really pop, pop itself up, but you know, using Terraform, it was, it was pretty straightforward. You just make kind of things that are in the global scope, regional where, and, you know, uh, make some changes here and there, and then just apply the Terraform in in the other region and, and start spinning up. Okay.
0: Um, what.
2: can you you talk a little bit about like the actual process of doing that and testing along the way like how how did you actually perform tests and then say okay we went we promoted this eventually to prod how did that work
1: so um it was easy obviously to do a non-prod um uh so kind of working all the way at the bottom in the develop uh, in the in the dev uh environment uh, we had a lot of modules, Terraform modules to spin up and then and then kind of making a runbook on how to take a brand new environment and spin it up using uh, modules in a hierarchical kind of uh, step-by-step basis because a lot of modules to, uh, use dependencies on other modules. Mm-hmm. Um, so testing was pretty easy in dev because once we spun up dev, we could have developers actually just deploy to it and use it we at this point we had ci cd uh develop and push to both environments the european environment in dev and the and the north american environment so we could we could come back and make sure all these environments are actually like working and good to go Um, production obviously was a lot harder because production is a lot more compliant so i actually could not do it because i am not a i don't have a gaming licensing for all Mm -hmm. the jurisdictions so legally i cannot touch anything production so sure. so people that actually had licensing can actually push the the, the run books once we got to, into the production environment yeah. um and testing was was actually pretty straightforward too because the client had a blue green environment um so we actually had the non-active environment uh, used for uh, GLI which is the gaming and licensing uh, for each jurisdiction mm-hmm. as well as QA able to run right. smoke tests on the uh, the non-active environment which was actually in North America and then once everything was good D- we just flipped the switch in DNS nice. and and it was a, it was about 15 minutes of downtime just just because um, we had to wait for marketing and 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 things, and then DNS to actually like uh, populate around the world to actually look at the new stuff, and everything was good.
2: Was was this like a code freeze scenario, or were development teams continuing to develop as this was going on?
1: Yeah. So it was. So every time there's a release, Gli uh, uh, forces a, a code freeze for okay. all uh for all environments that they're doing testing on so code freezes actually in sports betting seem to last a lot longer okay. they could be they could be two weeks to a month because okay. oh wow because a lot of uh all the jurisdictions so you know if it's not just one entity it's new jersey pennsylvania new york they're okay. all doing their own testing and yeah. then we have to freeze so,
2: so to be more specific i guess you mean like code freezes mean Merging to mainline is frozen. They're continuing to develop on other branches.
1: Yeah, uh, at this point, uh, it was only the development branch, okay. um, and then the the next stage would be um, local testing, which would be frozen at that point for okay. Q, local QA. And then at, and then at the same time, they would push to different uh, environments for different jurisdictions.
0: Okay.
2: So I'm sure you felt like there must have been some pressure around this, right? In terms of like. We need to cut over by this date um was there was, was it pretty intense having to do that
1: yeah uh some jurisdictions i won't i won't name i won't name the states but some jurisdictions are were hardline it's if it's not in this state um you you have we have to re- rework all the uh, you know getting the people ready for testing uh, you know, at people in the field ready for testing, things like that. So it, it, it's not, it, it was pretty, a lot of pressure. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Wow.
2: So, I mean, obviously I'm assuming that it's in addition to Terraform and making modules region aware and, and and having that information flow through to each of the Terraform modules in your files. I mean, it's not just a one-to-one move something over. There must've been, you mentioned that you, you were going on that journey to making things multi-regional. So in addition to Terraform and infrastructural changes I'm assuming there were architectural changes as well to support that correct so a lot of the um,
1: uh, a lot of the um, the managed the AWS managed services so a lot of them had to be changed um, uh, the client had w- was using RDS um, was using a post uh, postgres just instance uh, with three replicas um, obviously that's not going to work in a multi-regional scenario so we we changed it to use postgres and aurora in a global cluster and we had read replicas in us west 2 have have the active region us west 1 for primary Um, and that actually helped us a lot with migrating from europe to north america because once you turn on the global clusters the regions sync together you have all the all the data you need some schema changes had to be made um, you, uh, mostly for authentication, things like that. Uh, but it was, it was pretty much uh, very minimal we had to do to, uh, to make sure the European data was actually synced up and, and um, pushed into North America.
2: Okay, so basically yeah. you brought up the cluster, you moved over the data that was in RDS Postgres in, in the European region into Aurora, and then from that point is synced across a global cluster.
1: Yep. So during the migrate uh, during the 15 minute outage of migration, uh, that was the last push of of incremental data that was not in Aurora. We finished that, turned that turned the European database off, uh, Aurora on. It it had almost 99.9 percent of the data already there, so it was pretty minimal downtime.
2: That must It worked great. Feeling when that when the, after that 15 minute window, like yes. Yeah. It, <laughs>
1: Yeah. So the funny thing was, obviously, we're monitoring usage. And as soon as as soon as DNS was propagating, we saw bets immediately in North America, like it, it, almost like almost like people were just like refreshing ready to hit those slot machines, ready to hit the parlays. So it, it was pretty funny. And like immediately, just like bets were just all jurisdictions were just flowing straight mm-hmm. in. It was it was great.
2: Yeah. That's like mission control. Like, yes, we've, you know, the successful landing.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it kind of like that. When, when we, when we saw the first uh, bets coming in a lot of people in the war room, I mean, granted this was like three in the morning, so we're all a little bit tired, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was like, you know, you know, the Eagles landed. kind of yep. thing. It, was, it was nice. <laughs> we made it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the other part uh, of this, obviously. Um, so you, you're, you're moving things from location to location, from, from uh, region to region. Talk a bit about like the way the applications were run and how that went uh, over time. So I understand you started off the, the platform was on ECS, uh, which is basically a Docker fronting system on AWS. Tell me why, um, I know you, you know Kubernetes as well. Tell me why like ECS may not be like as controllable or configurable uh, necessarily as as EKS or Kubernetes itself. So, um, so the whole the the back end
1: and a lot of the other um, dependency services were all in ECS, um, uh, and you know it it worked well. Um, there are scenarios where the client or or the jurisdictions uh, we um, would want us to use certain services. Say for like, like Waza, which is, um, which is like an, uh, I think it used to be called OSEC, but old, old, um, uh, security service for, uh, Linux. Mm-hmm. And, um, in, in the ECS world, it's, it, it's not straight Kubernetes. You know, like you can't just helm right. install, you can't just, there's no operators. Um, you'll, you have to design your, your tasks from scratch. So if you want like a daemon set for Datadog, a daemon set for so whatever security you need, you're going to have to kind of make it yourself. Um, so that became uh, and and this this was like not just two this was this was becoming a problem. So mm-hmm. uh, during the migration after after the migration into North America and everything was pretty much stable. One of our next milestones was moving to EKS. So one we could have the stack running in Kubernetes you know almost like it is in ECS but you have just way more way more leverage on services that you want to install or and like and, and how you want to do um yeah. uh um application um uh like HPA like uh uh, uh <laughs> so I'm trying to think of the word the uh scaling up like uh, HPA okay. scaling things like that like mm-hmm. ECS you you have you do have control of that if you want to do more a more robust uh scaling you know ecs is only going to take you so far so For just example, things like here.
2: That. oh go ahead yours okay.
1: um just things like that so mm-hmm. we decided to move to eks um and uh so now at, at that point once we have the stack running in kubernetes um we can install whatever operators we want data dog like monitoring operators metric gathering uh, uh, services for, uh, data engineering, um, uh, like PG bouncer, like we had a PG bouncer, um, front end for Postgres to mm-hmm. uh, handle connection pooling. A lot of that becomes m- much easier because you're, you're either running off Helm files from the third party, um, providers or, or the operators, which is, uh, uh a lot easier to, ha- um, to customize and handle than like Helm files. So you have all the, and then also you have co- Complete control of um, uh, scaling. So, like using an operator like Kata, uh, you could use event-driven scaling instead of just scaling on CPU and memory. So, mm-hmm. and and then at the same time, if you ever want to move to another cloud, it's a lot easier. Uh, which we actually did do.
0: Yeah, I so oh, so cool. kind of
2: came yeah, in directly yeah, handy for that. Yeah. if I'm wrong, because a lot of the Kubernetes stuff is terminology is new to me, but. It sounds like what you're saying with Kubernetes is it's much easier to configure the environment around which your container is running in than in like ECS or just pure, just using Docker and Docker Compose.
1: Yeah. So like ECS, you're basically making pods, you know, they're called task deployments, but they're pods okay. and um, you have zero control. You have zero access to the control plane um, and things like Helm don't really work too well. Uh, so yeah so once you get into kubernetes or e- like eks uh, even though you don't have full access to the control plane uh, you you have access to all the bells and whistles that kubernetes will give you uh, and you and then you could you could highly configure the environment running the pods more than you can in e- uh,
2: ECS. interesting
0: so it's a more open control plane that you can you know hook into to, to add all your these uh, these operators so so operators are kind of like uh, running uh, running containers that manage the infrastructure that can communicate with Kubernetes like control stuff and stuff yep. things like that.
2: So as an example, like you mentioned connection pooling is one. Would another example be like a log aggregation agent?
1: Correct. Yeah. So uh, okay. DataDog has an operator. So yeah. So to answer your question, can um, you, you could have a Helm chart that is basically giving you manifest for kubernetes on and how to install each manifest and configure it uh, through environment through, through variables through whatever operators the same way but it's 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 actually con- controlled by um, uh, the operators actually has agents controlling what they want their other stuff to do so oper- like if if a if a company like Datadog it makes an operator they could give they could
2: have it do a lot more things than just giving you a Helm file. Interesting. So it sounds like sounds like these days a lot of these other services you're talking about and companies like they play much better with Kubernetes, and that's where the mind share is and companies are building operators, et cetera, can helm chart files. Sorry if I'm using the wrong terminology here. No, no, you're cr- You're absolutely right. It sounds to good to me. Work, to work yeah, with eddies rather than like just plain Docker, for example.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. because like, I mean, you can like a company can give you a task definition in ECS, and it only could go so far. That uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then so in the Kubernetes world, like yeah, so companies are straight up just making operators, and you know, once you you know buy into the whatever ecosystem you're 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 getting yourself into the. They'll give you the operator how to you know the access from the operator to to okay. Kubernetes or to a third party, and then the operator is actually running in its own namespace and then controlling other namespace. Usually, what, whatever the operator actually does, but it's 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 controlling the environments. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. uh, whatever whatever the operator is doing. And sorry to go on. I, I know we're going a little bit on a tangent here, but this actually is really interesting. Um, have you have you been in a situation where you actually? Um, the company like a development team within the company or an sri team they're building their own operator takes you know because there's a service developed in the company that now can live alongside your within your pod it's not an application service but it's like a, you know a background service that you need to do something have you built your own operators before
1: so we were actually planning on building an operator um, they're they're definitely usually when especially when you're we're doing our own thing if you're, if you're using like a GitOps workflow, mm-hmm. um, Helm is, is, is going to do everything you need to do. There's other, there's other template configurators like uh, customize and things like that, but, but usually Helm would, would do it. We actually were thinking about making our own operator for something that may be used within other, um, other Kubernetes clusters, right? Like, like, um, like data engineering wanted something that, um, would scrape metrics in different scenarios and then pull them all together. Helm at that point was just a much easier thing to do. Helm worked. Helm worked great for that, and okay. uh, we didn't. We didn't need to do. But we were actually thinking about it about making them an, an, uh, our own
2: operator. That's pretty interesting.
0: So can we dig in a little bit then, since we're nerding out on on Kubernetes, um, and let's talk a little bit about for people who don't know which would be, not me um, <laughs> us. Uh, you were mentioning GitOps and I uh, think we were talking earlier in the pre-interview also about Argo. So some of the tools around this process. Um, so ex- can you explain GitOps to people uh, in terms of what that is?
1: Yeah, so, so, so Kubernetes always kind of had a, a continuous delivery-ish problem. Uh, none of the, the old GitHub, uh, the DevOps tools like Terraform they they didn't really work too well when it came to uh, pushing changes into Kubernetes itself it it does fine making the infrastructure that actually runs Kubernetes but Uh once you get into the point where okay now that the infrastructure is set and you're deploying changes in Kubernetes Terraform and other tools didn't really work too well so uh, I think a a bunch of services like Flask and Argo CD came out and um, they made it so your single point of truth for only stuff running in Kubernetes lives in a Git, uh, uh, a Git repo. So then, at this point, you could you could have a nice Git flow on making mm-hmm. changes running in the Kubernetes. You you, uh, you make your changes, you do your PR. Your PR gets reviewed, merged, and then Argo CD, which is running inside Kubernetes, will will look at your single point of truth, look at what's running live, and then see. Make sure everything's uh, everything's synced, and if it's not, it will let you know, and then you could you could ha- you could completely build a whole pipeline on top of that.
0: And that is completely like whether you were using uh, K, uh, was it the EKS mm-hmm. or using Kubernetes somewhere else, you can still use the same workflow.
1: Yeah, so a, 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 a nice scenario um, that that our whole GitOps workflow worked very well was um, when we were moving uh, from EKS to uh, GCP Kubernetes Service. To um, so Google Cloud
0: Platform for people following along, right? Moving correct. from AWS to, to Google in this case.
1: Yeah, so uh, the nice thing was we you know, we, we used Terraform to build up the, G, uh, the, the GCP side for all the infrastructure running Kubernetes in uh, Google Cloud Platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just added those clusters to Argo Argo CD. And when we are ready to kind of like spin down the old AWS EKS cluster and spin up the new GCP cluster, we just added the clusters in Argo CD sync them. So all the apps just spin right up, kind of make some changes here and there for like persistent storage and how some environment and variables need to change. But other than that spun right up and change DNS to point at the new cluster and Everything worked great. It was really nice to see. Because you you could imagine uh, for sports betting, there's a lot of deployments and services spinning up in Kubernetes. And to watch them all come up pretty easily was was pretty awesome.
0: I think that's one of the the interesting things about the whole cloud world we're in today, right? So I'm just going to philosophize for a second. It's my own idiotic (laughs) thinking on this. But you know, you look at like AWS and you've got these millions of managed services, millions is a complete you know, exaggeration. You've got all these managed services and you've got their, that's one of the things they bring to the table is a ton of those things. Um, but if you commit completely to manage like backplanes and services like an ECS or what have you, um, and you do have the need to run this on multiple clouds, that's really a challenge because you have to go look for the same type of thing in another cloud platform. And they're not gonna be the same API, they're not gonna be the same configuration. But it's really cool that there are these tools out there. If, you're, if you're, your shared thing is Kubernetes, then you have transportability of at least your application services for sure. Correct. Uh, that's a big finding, I think, from this whole process. Well, yeah,
2: that seems like everything is going towards supporting Kubernetes.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: and also to, to expand on that, um, when we are moving from AWS to GCP, Obviously, in AWS, we had our, you know—all the databases were, and were running in RDS. They had Elasticsearch running in AWS, and obviously, the pain, the pain points of migrating to GCP, because at that point things are very different, and yeah. and the um, the engineering and the DevOps teams had to kind of figure out how to how to get RDS working in GCP exactly the way it was in AWS, and um, same thing with like uh, Elasticsearch and Redis. Right. To the point was uh, a little bit before my contract ended. Um, because of that point, the client moved their database out of managed service and into Kubernetes. So at that point, uh, you could remove the whole, uh, making sure you know what where your database is. Well, no, it's in Kubernetes, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that becomes very portable as well and
2: very managed for other operators to manage your database, um, which they did do. But, okay. So I guess the trade-off there is that now you're something or someone's or some team is managing that database and replicating and scaling and and snapshots and backups, et cetera, versus a managed service taking care of a lot of that for you.
1: So the managed so we did have a managed service, it just wasn't the cloud uh the cloud platform it was another it was another service that oh, okay. another operator that um, got it that actually they 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 handle all the um how the database gets replicated how oh. how uh masters get failed over how to handle persistent storage um That's so interesting. okay another thing about sports betting is the laws you know the laws are changing all the time mm-hmm. Uh, in each jurisdiction, so um, it seemed. It seemed like um, whatever third party we're using for some for some jurisdictions were, was wasn't as um, strict okay. as they were. Maybe maybe when I first started, but uh, but they yeah they, they they still have to be approved though. You're you're right. Mm. They, they, we can't just use whatever we want. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So that, that makes that makes that process harder because right? you got to make sure that that is there because you want your data to be safe versus knowing okay this cloud platform is is it's approved then you don't really have to worry as much about using managed services with the cloud provider yeah and it's tough some jurisdictions will all of a sudden
1: say like oh yeah by the way anything that touches the app uh, they have to fill out our tax paperwork and then uh, and then all, all of a sudden we have to go to like 20 25 vendors and be like yeah. well, this jurisdiction says you have to do this one. If the vendor says we don't want to, we can't use them anymore, which happened. And uh, it was, it, it, it happened for our CICD pipeline for cert, certain services that we had to change from for, for uh, where we store Git source. So like, wow. it, and, and a, a lot of that happens. Like all of a sudden it's like the jurisdiction is like, Oh yeah, by the way, if you don't have this, you can't, you, you can't have anybody gamble in your in our, in our state. So. Wow.
0: So can I ask a question? So you mentioned there's some other services that you you had to move over, like or I'm not sure how much you were involved in, but like things like Redis and Elasticsearch. So um, from a Redis perspective, like you were also like making sure that that was available globally, correct?
1: Yeah. Uh, so that was a part of our migration from Europe to North America, and at the same time making it making the app uh, multi regional. Um, yeah. So we obviously anything. Uh, nothing can be like mostly nothing can be local to the, to the region, especially when it comes to like obviously database. So Aurora fixed that problem. That was easy for us. Uh, Global Redis caching was actually a lot harder on the back, on the backend team uh, where at the one point they said, well, listen, we're not ready for this. And at one, uh, so we changed from being multi-regional to being a hot cold standby. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we were really running in us East one, having us West two as, as okay it, it became like a standby region in case like a meteor hit hit virginia or whatever
0: A lot more <laughs> an issue if a meteor hit virginia <laughs> but yeah. yes um wow so 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 okay so um okay so in that case are you running redis in another pod basically Did you no this out? is
1: this was magic service at this at this time okay. it was in aws yeah and um, aws had at this point it just became available when we were actually doing the migration. That that Redis break. had a global uh, a, a global cache um, feature where it could it could sync between regions. Uh, it's just we never we we actually never used it.
2: I'm sure anything so in- anything global yeah. probably costs a pretty penny. Yeah,
0: oh, I'm <laughs> I guess, sure, um- yeah. <laughs>
2: So, tool like Elasticsearch
1: or whatever, or Lexic Search, right? Yeah, Lexis search. I'm not sure if their service has like a global feature, but yeah, that would be that would be a lot of a lot of money. Yeah.
0: So, then tool of the trade that you really, uh, you know, uh, honed in then uh, were obviously Kubernetes, getting really good at your Kubernetes configuration and understanding how to install operators and configure them, and you know what to apply. Um, you also were dealing with Terraform a lot, and you were using GitOps with Argo. Um, are there any other cool tools that you ended up using, or techniques that you really like picked up here that you're like, wow, I am going to take that everywhere?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I would say scaling was was something that surprised me, and how um, once once you enable event driven scaling in Kubernetes, um, you could really get you could really start making some scaling policies a lot better than just waiting you know, traditional scaling is, is, you know, all of a sudden you have an influx in users and then your CPU goes up and then your pods scale up. That's kind of like, it's very reactive. So when we do event driven, we could get predictive. And then that helped Uh us with sports betting is very, uh, so the, so the app can handle sports betting obviously, but it also can handle casino gaming. So Uh you have to, you have to be able to have reactive scaling um, for things like you never know. For some reason it's Saturday night and a lot of people want to play slots. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, you have to start scaling up for, for aspects like that. But also sports betting is very, is very not predictable. So, you know, during the NFL season, uh, our, the utilization for our app skyrockets for the NFL. So, uh, instead of just being reactive, we could have events uh, running inside whatever monitoring metric service we're using, Prometheus, Datadog, to start to actually start scaling up using using predictive data for like anomaly things like that. So we're mm. we don't have to do the whole manual. Okay, it's Friday, let's scale up Friday night, and then you know Monday morning comes, let's manually scale back down. You you could have events that actually drive the scaling and uh, and you don't have to worry about it. Or, you know, you have predictability where uh, you, you have something that you may not know, but because it's event-driven, it's, it, it's you have a scale of event that you might not be aware of, which is nice.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's interesting. And that's what you were mentioning, like, you know, moving from ECS to EKS, for example, in terms of like, a, I guess a bog standard AWS ALB, you're limited in the types of things you can scale on Whereas with Kubernetes, and you mentioned earlier event-driven scaling, you can do a lot of custom logic. It sounds like, yeah,
1: and even so, this is like HPA pod scaling. Um, but then again, you could have you could have interesting strategies in um, node scaling. So in ECS, you have you know traditional node scaling. You have a a CPU threshold that the average all the all the nodes uh, right. are reporting as an average. And then if that crosses a threshold, it starts spinning up new nodes. Um, Mm. Sometimes that doesn't work, especially if all of a sudden your app gets hammered, right? Mm. And then uh, and then uh, you know your ALB will take some time to actually report that and be like, oh, okay, you know, let's start scaling up. up. Yeah. And and then the scaling happens, and then the node has to join the cluster, and then the scheduler has to push pods. So that. Take some time so in in EKS there's some operators that you could have a threshold of cold um standbys that the operator actually controls so as your apps scaling up and as your nodes are scaling up they scale extremely quickly because the operator would say oh my god we're getting hammered yeah these 10 nodes turn them on schedule on starts b- try, yeah and the, the schedule will start pushing pods to those cold standbys and then the operator itself will start b- building new cold standbys so there's no there's no
2: lag time between yeah, the so nodes, a, nodes building and asking hey are you healthy or not i need scale." the things telling you no hey go just go scale up i'm telling you i'm gonna die <laughs> Yeah, it, the op- the,
1: yeah
2: yeah the operator actually cordons the cold meaning that
1: they're available they're in a healthy state but they're, but this the schedule is not allowed to push yeah. uh, deployments uh, deployments uh, to them right so once the the, the operator says, oh you know are you know we're getting hammered like we have to start scaling, it just turns the schedule it, it turns those nodes on say okay, we can be scheduled pods just get flooded in there immediately. And then at the same time, the operator's like, okay, we don't have any more cold standby. Let's start spinning up some nodes.
0: Wow, that's wild. It's really yes. a lot more sophisticated than what you get. Plus, I mean, in the time where ECS is saying uh, and checking all this stuff, you could have completely saturated those nodes that are running, which is kind of, I think, your point there. At the same um, Yeah, and, and at yeah. the
1: same time, uh, there are a lot of managed case for ECS. If you mm-hmm. don't want because obviously with all these operators, you're – Blast radius for Kubernetes can be pretty big. Mm, you, yeah. you never, you never know if, if for some reason, if, if an operator's not configured con, configured right, it could it could bombard something that it that impacts as other things running in Kubernetes. So, I see a, if you're just running a couple of Docker Docker images, it, it, you just want to run it in some sort of orchestration, that's you know you you have basic scaling but you don't want to run anything else no daemon sets no no whatever ECS is perfect for it's
0: that fine for that yeah but for something serious where you've got lots of traffic and it's unpredictable and you want to be able to really react quickly to pressure in load and things like that um yep so it sounds yeah, if like you want lot more options yeah if, if
1: if you want more control uh, over your uh your environment yeah kubernetes is definitely it
0: cool. Any other tools that, like, you could think of or, or techniques you could think of from that?
1: Uh, yeah, Lens. Uh, so, uh, so I mean, you know, connecting to, to Kubernetes is, you know, a very important tool to have. And I always use K9. <laughs> K- K9s is a tool in the command line that really makes um, connecting to Kubernetes uh, and, and, like, you know, editing manifests, like, like troubleshooting, really. Like, the one thing you want to do is, is make sure you know how to troubleshoot quickly in Kubernetes because a lot of things when things go wrong you may not know where to, where to look. Mm-hmm. So having it having a good manager um, uh, helps with that. I always use K nines, but I was uh, there's an app called Lens mm-hmm. that is makes I think makes troubleshooting in Kubernetes a lot a lot faster, which is great. So if any any if anybody uh, needs help connecting and managing kubernetes i would suggest either canines or lens
0: cool all right do you have any more questions
2: um no i was i don't know if you guys covered this while i stepped out for a second but i think just to recap putting the you know the chariot hat on um i see a number of things here that chariot can help you know other clients with in terms of you know multi-region aware application workloads and infrastructure uh, Terraform refactoring, Kubernetes, GitOps, um, working, migrating across different cloud providers, working, you know, it sounds like you have a lot of experience now, Drew also like working with engineering teams along with these migrations, right? The you know, blue-green deployments, testing, um, having to help figure out what new services map to the services they were using in a previous cloud provider. I mean, you know, it sounds like that takes obviously it takes a lot of close cooperation with the development teams. You can't just kind of do that. In, and throw it over the wall.
1: Yeah, and GitOps really makes it makes the visibility to the, to the backend, front end engineers like they're actually a part of the deployment process. They actually they actually are a part of the uh, getting to know what's running in Kubernetes and how it's running. Um, kind of like how CircleCI and Git, GitHub's actions kind of like makes the CI/CD deployment transparent <laughs> to the engineers. Mm-hmm. So, GitOps will GitOps does the same thing. Now, I, I think Kubernetes doesn't become like something where the engineers are like oh, I don't know what's running in there. And but now, now because of of like GitOps, they're actually aware of of the whole deployment process and actually and
2: how actually things run in Kubernetes. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it sounds like Kubernetes has a lot of flexibility, customization. A lot of the vendors and other services out there play well with it now. So. I mean, I if you're if you're you know listening out there and need help with scaling your existing infrastructure or moving to something like Kubernetes, if you feel like there could be benefit to move towards there, um, GitOps, et cetera, You know, certainly um, reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to chat and um, ex- figure out ways that we can kind of assess where you are right now and, and how we can help move you along.
1: And uh, also transparency into what what's happening in Kubernetes. Um... Shipping shipping data to uh, like an aggregator like Datadog and and monitoring it is very important in Kubernetes. Um, There a lot can go wrong, so uh, one of my humongous projects was making sure monitoring was working well in the new from ECS to EKS and then to GCP's Kubernetes service, um, making sure that. If a pod's crash looping, you know. Um, if if persistent storage is failing somewhere, you know. You know right away. You know where to go. You know where to look immediately, um, instead mm-hmm. of taking hours to just find out what's going on. So, transparency and monitoring very important too.
2: Awesome.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Drew, for this. This is a great conversation. Sure. Really yeah. learned a lot.
2: Yeah, that so I know cool. I don't
0: know now. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> then I'm going to talk to you about. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the number. I'm like, there's Terraform files, there's Helm yeah. chart, there's the Argo CD. Like, they're just drowning in configuration files.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and they just keep it
0: just keeps growing. Yeah. Well, thank God it's in Git now for PRs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. that doesn't hurt. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Drew, for being on the podcast, and we'll uh, see everybody in a couple weeks.
1: Thank you. Thank you Take so time. much. Thank you. Bye.